0: If you would, brothers and sisters, please turn with me in your Bibles to the the book of Jonah as we're going to be continuing our study. And as we move here into the third chapter, we'll be considering verses 1 to 4. So Jonah chapter 3 and verses 1 to 4. Jonah chapter 3 and verses 1 to 4. Please then hear with me, brothers and sisters, the the reading of God's inspired and inerrant Word. Then the Word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the Word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, Three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Thus far is a reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, we see that now Jonah is a, is a new man. Right? Earlier in this book, Jonah was, was tested by God. And Jonah failed the test, and so he was disciplined by his heavenly Father. But it was that discipline that was efficacious in the life of Jonah as it brought him into submission to the will of God. Jonah had what we might call a, a true religious experience. And we know that because it brought forth a new Jonah. Jonah went from running from God's presence to running to God's presence. He went from loving his sin to hating his sin. He went from not wanting to speak to God at all to now confessing his guilt, declaring his own unrighteousness and proclaiming the righteousness and the sovereignty of God over the world and over salvation itself. And yet, I want to ask you, how different though is is Jonah's religious experience to the religious experience that so many claim to have week after week? Aren't there many in churches, Sunday after Sunday, week after week, who have claimed to have been converted by God? They claim to have had a a religious experience. Perhaps they they walked down the aisle. They have confessed now that they, they love God. But unlike what we see with Jonah, there has been no change in their lives. Now, I don't doubt for a second that these people believe themselves to have a true and real religious experience. But many people, I think, are wrongly under the impression that if we pray a prayer, we say certain words, we ask Jesus into our heart, that all of a sudden we are changed like that as if something mystical happens. And unfortunately, there are many churches around the world that are, that are out there and who are, who are, whose whole goal is to do that very thing, to, to produce conversions within the church no matter the cost of the of the people. No matter the cost of those individuals that they claim to, to who are who claim to be converted, there was as one pastor that I had uh, heard say, this was many years ago, but I heard it I heard it recently. Uh, he, he claimed that in five months his church had 500 conversions. Uh, this is a, a mega church pastor out on the East Coast, In five months, 500 conversions he boasted. Now certainly this boosted probably his own profile and the, the profile of the churches. Maybe people who are curious about, about Christianity hear this and say, well, well, this is where God must be. And so it draws people to churches like that. But what is important is not how many people there claim to have given their heart to God, but what is important is how many has God given life to. Right? Not have I given my life to God, but has God given life to you? Right? Because how many people are out there have been deceived who have, who have, who have claimed to be converted, but it 's only come about through an emotional pulling of the heartstrings right? or, they, or they claim conversion uh, because of peer pressure, and so this is why they've confessed God or, or they 've confessed faith in God because they think he 's going to make them wealthy or healthy. Right? How many Christians are out there right now who who think what true Christianity is is showing up for church on Sunday and participating in a, a rock concert? Or a, a pop concert with maybe a funny and entertaining talk. And so they walk out of church feeling really excited and, and exuberant by, by being entertained for that, for that hour or two. And as a result, what are those people now saying? They say, well, well this isn't my parents' Christianity, is it? This isn't an ancient worship. This isn't an dull and boring worship. So if this is what true Christianity is, I'll have that. Right? Sign me up for that. But yet the problem with that is, and the problem with many instances like this that occur throughout our our country and throughout the world, is that those confessions are made without any acknowledgement for one's sin. There's no acknowledgement for sin. There's been no being brought low and seeing one's own filthiness in relationship to the holiness of God. There has been no uh, real understanding of the gospel that has taken place here. There has been no true and real faith placed in the true and real Christ. And so if there has not been that, then there cannot be a true transformation of the heart. Right Where there is not both faith and repentance, there is no true religious experience that mirrors that of Jonah. Because what did Jonah's experience do? Not only did it cause Jonah's faith to increase, but it brought about in Jonah an obedient heart. It brought about in Jonah an obedient heart. Too many think today that they can continue living the same life they lived prior to coming to Christ. But Jonah demonstrates that you cannot do that. You cannot do that. When when Jonah met with the one true and living God and was delivered from his sin, what happened? A total transformation took place. A a 180 resulted. Jonah was no longer the same man, nor could he be. Why is that? Because something supernatural happened. Right? God worked something supernatural in the life of Jonah so that what happens as a result? Something supernatural. Right? Jonah could no longer go on living in worldly living. Right? That supernatural work that God does produces godly living, not worldly living. It produces godly hearts, not carnal hearts. That work that God does in the heart of sinner produces godly desires, not earthly ones. And so if you claim to have been supernaturally saved, but you look no different from your unbelieving neighbor, then unfortunately I don't think anything supernatural has happened in your life, but rather something very natural has happened. Maybe you you felt a feeling. Perhaps your senses were aroused by something, but that same wicked, sinful heart still remains. But this is not what we see in the case of Jonah, is it? Right, in fact, in our text today, we are going to see that great transformation that has taken place in the life of Jonah by the hand of God. Right, Jonah here is he's given a second chance, and with it, he will demonstrate the nature of his faith. And he does so by his works. Right, Jonah will demonstrate the nature of his faith by his works. What does is, what is Jesus say in Matthew chapter seven? Right, you will you will know someone by their fruit. You will know them by their works. There he was talking about. True and false prophets, but are true and false teachers. And we can, uh, though, apply that to, to all people. Right? A, a good tree only produces good fruit. Uh, a disease in a bad tree produces bad fruit. And it's Jonah's good fruit that springs forth from true and saving faith that is going to be on display for us in our text today as God has restored Jonah. Now, one thing as we turn to the text that I want us to see is that in both accounts, in the initial encounter between God and Jonah, and the second encounter, is that in both encounters, God initiates them. We see that in Jonah 1.1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. In verse 2, then He tells him to arise. In in chapter 3, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. In verse 2, He tells him to arise. And so we see in both instances, it is God who speaks to Jonah. It is God's word that comes to Jonah. And Jonah doesn't move until God says, go. And this takes us then to our first point this morning, which is the Lord speaks. This is point number one, that the Lord speaks. Now, I think, brothers and sisters, that we all can agree that what God has done in the life of Jonah that we've read thus far is most gracious and Merciful. Something that Jonah truly was not deserving of. But it was it was most gracious and merciful as he, as he sent the great fish in to, to swallow Jonah up as he was drowning in the sea and he preserved his life until he spit him upon the ground. All right? God was gracious with Jonah even when Jonah was not deserving of God's grace and of His mercy. And if this is all that God did for Jonah, rescued him here, rescued his life, rescued him from his sin and death, if that is all that God did for Jonah, Jonah would have no complaint against God for that. That is all that he did. And Jonah would understand if God chose to just save him and save his life, but to no longer use him and perhaps to to turn to a different prophet now to use because of Jonah's unfaithfulness. But brothers and sisters, what I want us to see though, is that although God was under no compulsion, to restore Jonah to his office, as prophet. Right? God's ways are not like our ways. Right? God's thoughts are not like our thoughts. Right? Because although God did not have to restore Jonah after Jonah's unfaithfulness to God, what we see is that He does. Right? God restores Jonah to his position once more. Right? If someone wronged us and asked us for forgiveness, I'm sure that at least the majority of us would say, yes, we would forgive that person. But would any of you trust that same person in the same way again? Would you be able to trust them in the the same way that you once did after they betrayed you, especially if they betrayed you in the manner that Jonah betrayed his God? Would any of you trust them immediately right after they have sinned against you? Would you be able to trust them immediately again without allowing some some time to lapse in between to see that they are, are loyal friends to you again before you were to entrust them with something important? But I don't think any of us would be able to do that immediately. But what we see here in our text is that God does. He does not just forgive Jonah and then give Jonah some lesser noble task to do. Because of his treachery, but rather what God does is He forgives Jonah and then He restores him to his position of honor and dignity and authority once more. Right? The Lord speaks to Jonah and what is it that that He says to him? It's the exact same thing He said to Jonah before He sinned against God. Right? He tells Jonah, He calls him as his prophet, calls him to be his mouthpiece, tells him to go forth into the great city of Nineveh, the greatest Gentile city in the world, and to proclaim this message for the glory of God. And it's to him, the sinner Jonah, who he immediately gives this task to once more. How astounding is the, the grace of our Lord that God here does not hold over Jonah's head his former sin. That he does not demote Jonah that he does not treat Jonah like a, like a black sheep in the family. But rather what we see is that when Jonah repents of his sin and turns to, 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 to his Lord in faith, that, that God brings him in right? and, and loves him once again, just like a son. Right? Which demonstrates to each one of us here today, when we place our faith and hope and trust in God, when we turn from our sinful ways and flee to Christ, that He likewise receives us right? lovingly. What this does is it demonstrates that when he forgives sin, God wholly reconciles the sinner to himself. What our text here today demonstrates for us is that when God forgives sin, he he truly and really forgives sin, which means he remembers it no more. What this text demonstrates for us today is that when God forgives sin, his wrath is turned away from the sinner and his love is poured upon the saint what God demonstrates in this text is that when He forgives sin and He makes you His, that He has perfect confidence in you now as His saint. That when God forgives sin and makes you His, He has perfect confidence in you. But it's not because of how great or how faithful you are. He has perfect confidence in you because of how great and how faithful He is. That's what we have to understand. He has perfect confidence in His own grace. He has perfect confidence in the efficacious nature of the redemption that Christ was sent to procure for us. He He has perfect confidence in His own power. He has perfect confidence in the Holy Spirit who indwells Jonah, which is why now He has perfect confidence in Jonah. And He knows that Jonah will not fail the second time in this test because God knows that His grace will not fail in Jonah. And so he speaks to Jonah once more. And what is that message that he speaks to Jonah? That he wants Jonah to go out and declare. It's the same message as before. right? God's purposes and plans did not change. Right? Jonah's sin and rebellion would not thwart God's will. And so here the Lord again sends Jonah to call out to the Ninevites for the sin that they have committed against him. As we've seen in, in chapter 1 and verse 2, Jonah was told in that first encounter that the evil of the people had gone up before the Lord. And now in chapter 3, verse 4, we're told that Jonah was sent to call out the people for their evil, saying this, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now what I want us to see is how staggering it is. How staggering God's determination for these unclean and rebellious people were. God did not owe the Ninevites a thing. The Ninevites were not God's chosen people. God did not make any promises to the Ninevites that He, that he, that he promised to do for them. Right? None of those things that He did. And they were living in rebellion against Him in their sin, just like Jonah was. And so just like Jonah, the Ninevites were deserving of death and condemnation. And God would have been just and right to rain down fire upon them and extinguish them the very moment that they sinned against Him. But he didn't. But he has done that before, hasn't he? Do you remember in Genesis chapter 18 and 19, what does he do with Sodom and Gomorrah? In Genesis chapter 18, verse 20, this is what we read. Then the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And what happens, brothers and sisters? What happens when he does? He sends those two angels, if you remember. And they go into the city. And they go into the house of Lot. And what do they do? They don't go into the city and start proclaiming like, like God tells Jonah to do. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, do, do they? No, what we're told is that they go into the house. They tell Lot, they tell Lot's wife, they tell Lot's daughters. And then they, they bring them out of the city. And then what happens? In Genesis chapter 19, verses 24 and 25, Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And He overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of those cities and what grew on the ground. Here we see that the Lord speaks to those whom He wills to speak to. The Lord gives His Word and a warning through His Word to some and He doesn't give His word of warning to others. But He is under no obligation to make His word known to every man, woman, and child everywhere in the world. Here we see in these two instances between Nineveh and Solomon and Gomorrah, God deals graciously with Nineveh in sending out a prophet to preach to the people before He destroys them. And then with Solomon and Gomorrah, He deals justly with them. As He gives them no warning, but just rains down Sulfur and fire and destroys them for their sin. And In both instances, we ought to praise and glorify God because He always does that which is right. And this is what restored Jonah believes, which is why after Jonah is restored and God tells him to once again arise and go into Nineveh, Jonah goes without question. And this leads us then into our second point this morning, which is Jonah obeys. Jonah obeys. Jonah, in verse 2 then, is told, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message I tell you. What are the very next words that we read in, chapter, in verse 3? So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. Do you hear an echo of another story in the prophet Jonah? Think of Genesis chapter 22. Right, think of the Lord speaking to Abraham there and telling him to go upon the mountaintop and to sacrifice his son as an offering to God. And in Genesis chapter 2 verse th- 3, the very next verse after God says that, what, is, what do we read that, that Abraham does? It says, so Abraham arose. He arose and he went. Right, this, this mirrors what we read with Jonah. God tested Jonah just like he tested Abraham. Abraham, the father of the faithful. Abraham, the exemplar of faith to the saints. And Jonah, just like Abraham, passed God's test. And he demonstrates the veracity, the truthfulness of his faith, not only before God, but to himself and before others. All right, what we need to see here is this transformation that has taken place in Jonah. He no longer cares about himself. He no longer cares about himself. He's no longer concerned about himself. Right? How many times throughout the book of Jonah is Nineveh described as great? Four times. Four times. In chapter 1, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Here in chapter 3, verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. In verse 3 of chapter 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. And then also we read that in chapter 4 and verse 11. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? So four times Nineveh is called a a great city. And this is the city that God sends Jonah to. Now the city was great because it was great in size. But it was also great because it was great in sin. And it was great in danger that it provided for the the prophet who was to go in there and, and call out the sin of the people against themselves. But Jonah, we have to see, is no longer concerned with the flesh like he once was, which is one of the reasons why he ran away from the presence of the Lord. Right? He's no longer concerned with the flesh. He's no longer concerned with his what his Jewish brethren will say about him behind his back being sent off to a, a pagan and a despised people to preach the Word of God. He no longer is concerned with what the Ninevites are going to do or say as he walks into their city and proclaims this message. All Jonah cares about is obeying God. But Jonah had to learn this obedience through affliction, didn't he? But also through affliction, Jonah learned many other things as well. Right? Through affliction, Jonah learned love. Through affliction, Jonah learned the grace of God and he learned his own sin and misery. And he learned all these things through God's chastisement of him. Before Jonah was almost drowned by his sin, he didn't care at all about the condition of the Ninevites. He had no love for the Ninevites in his heart whatsoever. Right? Jonah took the grace of God for granted being a member of the, uh, the chosen nation of God. But now after I've been broken down by God, Jonah's heart now has been filled up with love for the lost. Right? Jonah now has sympathy and compassion and mercy upon the lost because he knows what it's like to feel lost. And without God in this world. But we need to see that it was through, though, Jonah's experience that God actually now prepared him to be a better ambassador for God to the Ninevites than he ever would have been before. But that had to happen after Jonah's sin was broken down. God breaks down our own disobedience as well, doesn't He? He breaks down our own disobedience and creates in us a new submissiveness to Him so that we might better serve Him. Right? Isn't God constantly destroying our old disobedience and producing within us new obedience so that we can be greater vessels for His glory to our neighbors? Right? Does He not do that to us? Right? This is the very same thing that He does to Jonah. This is the same thing Paul describes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. God takes us through trials, and He shows you His mercy and His persistent grace. Why? So that you may extend it toward others. This is what Jonah is now ready to do. Now, Nineveh was a a large city, we're told here, by the prophet Jonah. It took three days to walk through the city of Nineveh. That's how large the city was. And as soon as Jonah enters the city, he begins to declare in verse 4, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Here is that new Jonah who walks into this this wicked city of of Nineveh. But he does so without fear and with all boldness now ready to declare this unpopular message to these sinful people. Right? Jonah goes into this vile city without sword and without slingshot. But he also enters with the only weapon that he needed, which was the Word of God. Jonah only needed the Word of God, that weapon that is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is that Word and that weapon that Christianity has and that God has given us to use that that you don't find in other religions, is it? Think about something like Islam. Not only does Islam have the Word, but they use a a physical sword as well, don't they? Right. They use the physical sword to to force you to obey the Word. But that is because Islam is a false religion and their God is a false God. That is why our God, the God of Christianity, doesn't need a physical sword to compel someone to believe in Him. For He is a God of all power. A God who just by His spoken word is able to radically transform the heart of a sinner to love and to obey Him. And this Jonah knows. This is why Jonah can walk into the city without any fear and without any weapon but the word. And when Jonah walks into the city, what I want us to see is he doesn't walk into a quiet corner in the city and whisper, yet 40 days and Nineveh should fall. No, Jonah goes into that city and he raises up his voice to the people and he proclaims this message to them knowing that God was by his side and so that God was going to bless him in his work of the ministry because he was working in obedience to the will of God. Jonah also demonstrates that he realizes that the power is not in anything that Jonah has or Jonah says, but rather the power is in the Word of God. Right? Jonah only goes and says what God tells him to say and he does this out of obedience. Right? This is what we read in verse two: Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Right? The message that I tell you. Surely Jonah may, may have thought to himself, "Isn't there a better way to do this? Uh, surely telling people that uh, kind of repent or die might not be the best way to go about this, God. Uh, maybe I ought to ought to, to 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 approach this in a different way or in a different manner." Uh, perhaps I should make them, you know, g- let them get to know me, maybe make them like me. Maybe if I act like them, talk like them, dress like them, uh, this may be a better approach. Maybe instead of telling them to repent or be destroyed, I ought to come into the city and tell them, God loves every single one of you. Right? God, don't you think that's a better approach? Maybe Jonah's thinking that to himself. But doesn't that sound like the approach that many churches today take in order to entice sinners, right, to draw them in? But Jonah doesn't do that because Jonah knows that true faith and true repentance only comes by the power of God through the Word of God. Right? Jonah could have probably elicited many false conversions that day if Jonah would just have kind of strategized and crafted a, a message tailored to the Ninevites that was kind of nice and inviting. But this is not what Jonah does. Because at the end of the day, a temporary conversion based not upon true faith and the true Word right does those people no good service it does no good for them at the end of the day that temporary faith based on a word that is not god's leads you to the same result that those who that those who deny god's word will receive and that's eternal death right that's eternal punishment this is why paul was uh, was was so resolved to always preach the word of god and only the word of god this is why he says in the second chapter of first corinthians beginning in verse 1 And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you a testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in all weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. To look to any other means to get people to believe and to get them to be converted is to not trust the Holy Spirit. To look to any other means to get people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ is to not trust the Holy Spirit. It is to not trust that in the weakness of the message, the power of God is at work in the sinner. To innovate your own message, to draw sinners to faith in Christ is to not believe that all things are possible with God. But Jonah believes that all things are possible with God because Jonah experienced that all things are possible with God in his own life. And I think here is a part of the problem. That many preachers today are great speakers. Uh, They're very charismatic. Uh, They can even be maybe attractive looking to the people in the pews. Maybe they're they're hip and they're cool, but they are people themselves who do not know the mercy of God and salvation. They are people themselves who don't know what it is to truly repent of their sin. They are people who don't understand their own sin and misery. They don't see themselves as someone condemned and deserving of death and condemnation. And so they don't see that for the people in the pews as well. They don't know what it's like to, to like Jonah cry out to the Lord, feeling forsakenness over your sin. They themselves are those who have not experienced the, the grace of God and salvation. And so they can't preach what they themselves don't know. This is what made Jonah the right man, though, to go into Nineveh and deliver this message. Because Jonah knows what it's like to be where they are. Because he, like Isaiah in chapter 6, verse 5, knew himself to be an unworthy sinner. If you remember in that first, uh, that first part of chapter 6, in Isaiah, what, is, what does Isaiah say when he, when he beheld the glory of God? Has he seen the, the throne of God? He says, Woe is me, a sinner! Right? For I am lost, a man with unclean lips. Right? Jonah sees himself in the very same vein. And so Jonah is now able to go and tell the Ninevites of their condition because he understood that was at one time his condition and that that was what he had to first come to realize. But what Jonah now can also do then is preach though grace and mercy because that is something too that the prophet Jonah likewise has experienced. And because he knows that he preaches it. I want us to also see that God gave Jonah a message and he doesn't change it. His task as prophet is simply to declare what God gave him. And that is the same task as ministers today. We are to simply preach what God gives us and that is his word. Right, like Jonah, the minister today, is to cling to the word of God, is to live according to the word of God, is to preach the word of God, is to obey the word of God, is to fight sin and temptation with the world with the word of God. And yet at the end of the day, isn't that true of every single one of you here today? Right? Has not God given us all the word as a weapon? Has he not given us all the word as a weapon against sin and temptation? Has He not given us all His Word as a weapon against this world? Has He not given us His Word as a weapon to conform us to the image of His Son? That it might be a a lamp unto our, our feet and a light unto our path that we might walk in a manner worthy of our Almighty God? You see, Jonah could not forget how much God has done for him. How much He has been forgiven. And so his soul is filled with love for his Lord. And he cannot help but to obey Him now and to offer all submission to the will of God. In Sunday school a few weeks back, we talked about uh, concerning original sin and actual sin. Uh, We said that uh, sinful uh, actions uh, proceed a a sinful state. And we could say that too about uh, Christians just kind of flipping that around. And we might say that a redeemed state should be followed by redeemed actions. This is an evidence to each one of you here today that you are a child of God. If you, have a, if you are in a redeemed state, you are, it's going to follow with redeemed actions. And so we all need to be asking ourselves, do I by faith look to Christ and do I live in obedience to His will? Right? When He disciplines me, do I, do I grow in faith and obedience or does it have the opposite effect on me? Right? The godly recognize their sin. They repent of it. They confess it. And then they grow in love and obedience and faith. This is what we see in the life of David and Peter and Jonah. These trials cause them to have a renewed sense of reliance on God. When afflicted, does it provoke the same in you? When afflicted, does it provoke the same in you? And then with Jonah, let us likewise see the the sympathizing heart that Jonah has. And let us likewise mimic that heart that Jonah has. Jonah has a, a sympathizing heart for sinners. All right, let us not grow cold and callous to sinners, but let us as those who experience the grace and love of God at every opportunity, give that same grace and love that we have been shown to others as well. But what this means, brothers and sisters, likewise, is that we need to be those who commit ourselves to the Word of God so that we know what to say to people. So that we're not using our own words and our own methods in order to get people to believe, but rather we use the words that God has given to us. Now, I know that you're probably thinking we're about 40 minutes in and he hasn't finished point two yet. When is he getting to point three? This is why I didn't uh, give you all my points from the beginning. I like to keep things fresh and interesting once in a while. And so we only have two points today, okay? We only have two points today. So, in conclusion, I want us to see how Jonah's been restored by God. Right? See God's grace in action within his servant Jonah. See how God works faith and repentance in the life of Jonah so that now Jonah can behold the glory of God. This is what a true religious experience looks like. I also want us to see, before we we walk out of here, is that although we fall, I want us to see that God can still use you. Although you may fail, although you may sin, that doesn't mean that God casts you off now as a, as a black sheep of his family. Right? But if you return to God in faith and repentance, right, he can still use you for his glory. And we see that in the life of Jonah. And he can do that because by the blood of Christ, uh, you have been brought in reconciled to God the Father. Right? There is now peace between you and God because of what Christ has done for you. And so he does not just cast you off because of your sin. And he can still use you as His as his child. And then I'll just leave you with this one quote from John Owen that really sums up, I think, what Jonah experiences in our text today. And in John Owen says this, that the Word of God can only come with power to our hearers when it has first come with power to our own hearts. Okay? The Word of God can only come with power to our hearers when it has first come with power to our own hearts. And so may you all know the power of God that comes through Uh, the grace of our Lord. Uh, May you know that in your own hearts. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for uh, Your Word. We are uh, beyond uh, astonished and amazed by Your grace as we see Your grace exhibited in the life of Jonah. And as we think about uh, Your grace in each and every one of our own lives here who believe today. Uh, Father, we pray that You would continue to, to speak to us through Your Word and that through Your Word You would continue to fashion uh, obedient hearts within inside of us. Lord, we pray that You would continue to create new submission in our hearts towards towards You and to Your will, that You would continue to conform us to the image of Your Son that You would continue to cause us to, to love Your Word and to flee to Your Word and to, and to be in Your Word every day and to use it as a, as a great weapon against the fiery darts of Satan that You have given to us. And so, Lord, we come before You this morning and we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.